This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Driven by Data, the podcast, season two, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. We're delighted to bring you another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, which boasts even more data analytics and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Our aim remains the same to uncover how some of the most prominent leaders within the data analytics community tackle our industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, ideas, and experience, and just as in season one, to give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season two. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the one and only Mr. Peter Jackson, who is the Chief Data Officer for Exasol. Peter, thank you very much for being here. Good afternoon, Carl. Great to be with you. Thank you for the introduction. That was lovely. Yeah, this is the best one you've ever had, I'm sure. I've been practicing for a few minutes before you came in. <laughs> um, so look, Peter, where we always start um, is by asking our guests to, to give themselves a brief introduction into, I guess, their background and, and journey today, if you would. Yeah, um, as you said in your introduction, I'm currently the Chief Data Analytics Officer of, of Exasol. Um, and I joined Exasol, which is the, we'll talk about in a minute, I think, which is the world's fastest analytics database. I joined in March. Um, from my role at Legal and General. It was actually at Legal and General where I'd been an Exasol customer. So I knew all about the technology. I knew what it could do for an organization. I wanted to make that step to, to the other side so other people could get the benefit from it and help them use it. Now, I'll come and talk about that uh, in a minute. But um, at Legal and General, I was the Group Director of Data Science. So it was my, uh, my role and privilege to evangelize data science across the federated business globally. But I was also the chief data officer of the investment management business um, at Legal and General Investment Management. Prior to that, I'd been the chief data officer at Southern Water. And before that, I'd been the uh, first head of data at the pensions regulator. Um, that, that's my journey to where we are. Along the way, I was lucky enough to meet Caroline Carruthers. And she and I published now three books together, um, the chief data mm -hmm. officer's playbook in two editions and data-driven business transformation. And that allows me also to be the Chief Data and Analytics Officer of Carruthers & Jackson, which, as you know, is a consultancy firm, education sort of leadership firm. And we run the Chief Data Officer Summer School, which we've just finished this summer with 423 um, candidates on the course for 12 weeks. Yep. Comes that time every year, and that's all you see on LinkedIn, right? For uh, for about three weeks, everyone producing their certificates, which obviously is fun, great to see, um, but must be pretty time consuming for you responding to each of those individually. <laughs> you do have to build it into your day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. So, um, okay, fine. So, great, great background and, and intro there, Peter. So, thank you for that. I guess. Tell us a little bit about Exasol then, and I guess um, more out of curiosity than anything else, why the move to vendor side? Uh, well, Exasol is, a, is an in-memory analytics database. It really allows you to bring data together from multiple data sources into it as an incredibly performant and powerful database to drive um, dashboards or machine learning or operational reporting at a pace that you can't get anywhere else. And 
One of the things I like about it is it's hybrid flexibility. You can have it on-premise, you can have it hybrid, or you can have a SaaS version. So it doesn't matter where your data sets are, you can put XSO. Um, and the reason I went there, as I said briefly in the introduction, is I'd used it at Legal and General Investment Management to drive our institutional client reporting, uh, their dashboards. And we brought data together from multiple data sources into Exosol to power these dashboards. There was no other way of powering them with such um, concurrency and such demand in lifetime. We tried other uh, solutions, which I won't go into, but they weren't <laughs> performant as what required. And so I thought I wanted a change, and I thought the opportunity to actually uh, evangelize for a technology that I see as a bit of a game changer for a chief data analytics officer uh, and allows the CDAO to meet the demands of their stakeholders who want democratized data and they want democratized analytics. Well, here's a technology that was going to enable it. So I have a number of, of parts to my role at Exosol. One is to be an evangelist for the product. Um, as I've kind of outlined already. But another is to bridge that gap between product and enterprise. In other words, organizations like Exosol are very good at selling product, but they often don't talk about what that product can do for an organization, what the business outcomes are. And that's part of my role, is to bridge that gap into our clients and prospects and say, well, this is what you can get from it. This is how it will be a game changer in your business. Another part of the role is going back the other way, is to taking that market intel back into the product team at Exosol and saying, this is what the market needs. They need these features. They need it to work in this way, or we haven't got the pricing right, or, or whatever it is. So it's back and forth. Um, and I also are tackling our own internal uh, data to make it more optimized and effective and efficient in our go-to-market motion. So yep. it, it keeps me pretty busy, and I'm enjoying it. Fine. So I guess just for, for clarity for, for the listeners then, so your role external facing very much around the thought leadership piece between what the product can do and how that you know puts value back into the business as opposed to just selling the efficiencies of the product itself, if that makes sense. Absolutely right, Carl. Yep, very well. Yep. So. Perfect. Okay. Right. So let's jump into this then, uh, Peter. Obviously, you know, your name in the data analytics industry is you know very much up there in regards to that chief data officer persona um so really looking forward to kind of delving into this but i guess good starting point as far as you're concerned why is it important that an organization has a cdo or cdao or equivalent i guess i think it's becoming uh increasingly important for organizations to have somebody who is responsible and accountable for data in their organization. Now, I'm going to unpack that slightly. Organizations see uh, their, their money as an asset. They see their people as an asset. And so they will have a chief financial officer who is accountable and responsible for the money, and they'll have a, you know, a director of, of HR or somebody who's very senior who's responsible and accountable for the workforce. And you can see that pattern across the whole of the organization. The CIO is responsible and accountable for the technology and access to technology in the organization. So I think as organizations want to get more from their data and become more data-driven, it makes increasing sense to have a very senior person who's accountable and responsible for data. Now, that means that they're accountable and responsible for actually managing the data and governing the data in a way that makes it safe, transparent, and useful to the business. 
but they're also accountable and responsible for leveraging the value from the data. In other words, producing the analytics, the predictive analytics, the machine learning that is going to unleash the value to the business from their data. So it's a broad reach. It has to be senior. And it's all about having somebody who's actually got the accountability and responsibility for the data. Who is a data professional? You cannot give that senior role with that broad reach, with that level of senior accountability and responsibility to somebody who's not a data professional. Mm. It's really interesting because I guess, you know, across the spectrum and obviously we engage with multiple businesses, different size, scales, volumes, sectors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think one of the things that I often see is that you get so many businesses that start to go on this journey with data analytics, whether they've done anything or not, you know, they're trying to do something or they're trying to do more with, with data and analytics. But I guess they they never do that with an established data leadership figure you know and we see it time again they'll go out they'll build a data science team you've got eight data scientists sat there reporting to whoever you know the cfo or the cto or whatever the case may be but i guess that's probably partly because there's a lot of organizations that haven't really defined or established that kind of data practice or data office and have someone responsible for that as an overarching thing why is that? Why is it that the large majority don't have that practice, do you think? I think I think my first answer to that, I think it's only a matter of time. I think organisations are, are increasingly moving in that direction. And I think that those that are failing to deliver the value and the insight from their data will realise that they've got to go about it a different way, which probably means saying to somebody, bringing somebody on board and saying, you're accountable and responsible for doing this and you should know what you're doing. So I think that it, it's transitory. It is something that is changing and evolving. Why do they do that? I think it's because they haven't really thought through the problem. They haven't actually thought how important it is to them and what they're actually trying to do and the value add to the business. I don't think it's, it's perhaps a low level of data maturity. They don't understand the scale of the challenges and the scale of the opportunity, and therefore they think it's something you can just stick on the side as, a, as an also-round. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with that because I think, you know, from, from my perspective, what I see is this obligation or peer pressure. There's so much talk. Everyone's talking about using data analytics and all the buzzwords out there, you know, machine learning, data science, AI, and all of this type of stuff. And I think there's a real fear among business leaders that if they're not seen to be doing this stuff, that they're going to get left behind. And therefore, they yeah. go about doing this stuff, right? Um, but as you said, they've not thought through exactly why they're doing it. There's not a great deal of strategy behind why they're doing it other than they feel that they should be. And I think that leads to that type of behavior. Well, I think that I, I totally agree with you. And I think you and I have both seen um, that in organizations, you can see organizations going to recruit a CDO or, or, or somebody in that senior role. And they'll say, oh, we've, got, we've tried this before. We've got a team of data scientists to sit over there and it's not really worked properly. And, you know, we do here. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of times that we hear exactly that, right? And, and and I think that's partly because they do it, in my opinion, the wrong way around. They'll go and build yeah. that data science team. There's no direction or strategy as to what they want that data science team to achieve. And therefore, when they don't get the results that they were hoping for, it's a case of mm, this data science thing doesn't work. So we'll kind of knock it on the head and then we'll revisit it in 12, 12 months, which is just, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, so I guess... Um, 
moving on then. So th- there's obviously a very large proportion of data leaders that we speak to that have ambitions to become a CDO, right? I guess for a lot of data professionals, they see that as the the pinnacle of, of where their career could go. Um, but in comparison to the number of data leadership figures there are out there, if you know, think a head of data, a director of data, or any of the associated titles, in comparison to the number of CDO roles there are, <laughs> there's some clear disparity there, right, between who's going to get those jobs and, and, and who's not. So what what's the pathway? Because obviously, as I mentioned before, your name is certainly up there in regards to that persona. Um I'm just keen to kind of get your thoughts here on, you know, what's the pathway to getting to that level and position and putting yourself with, you know, best foot forward to give you a chance of picking up some of those, you know, genuine CDO level roles. I think the the, the first thing is is to understand um, yourself. In other words, what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are, because you need to play to your strengths. And if you're, if you don't have enough or the right balance of strengths to truly go for that CDO role, then you, you perhaps need to fill that gap if you want to get one of these, these roles. Particularly as they become more senior and they therefore become more strategic and of a broader reach. Um, so you have to make sure that you've got the full kit bag or enough of the kit bag or an appreciation of what should be in the kit bag and how you would complement that if you were to get one of these roles. I think as you say, you know, there's a lot of data leaders in analytics or in data governance, and there you go. Have they got those complementary skills that they're going to need to take that next step up? Also, are they strategic in, in, in their thinking enough? I think you find a lot of um, that tier in organisations are very good at delivery, are very hands-on, leading teams, but whether they can inspire the uh, exco or the board, whether they can actually build the business case, whether they can truly tell the stories around the strategy, that's where they they probably need to concentrate to make that that next step in the journey. Mm. I mean, that's something that's very close to my heart, Peter, and I kind of bang on about this all you know all the time in terms of that the positioning within an organization, the level that someone needs to to be at, the types of things they need to consider. And I'm keen to kind of unpack this as 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 we kind of go go through this. But I guess just sticking to the to the kind of point around getting to that CDO level, in your opinion, what needs to be achieved? Because I think you're absolutely right, right? There's you need to show a breadth. It needs to be strategic. It's about winning hearts and minds and taking the business and its leadership team and the board on that journey and the whole influencing piece and, and you know, yada, yada, yada. But I guess, obviously, when organizations hire, they want to see some proof that you can deliver what you say you're going to deliver, right? And that normally comes from prior experiences. So uh, have you got kind of any thoughts around what someone needs to be able to show apart from obviously that breadth of kind of experience across the the spectrum? I think without a doubt, there's two things that uh, selection teams or the search agencies are looking for. One is that, that ability to execute and deliver. Um, You know, as you say, um, organizations are desperate to get value. They're desperate for things to, to move, for the dial to be shifted. So they want somebody who's capable of delivering. Um, so having a track record of execution and delivery uh, is important. I think the other thing, and we talked about this a minute ago, but I think the you've got to demonstrate that ability to tell the story because you are going to have to talk to an awful lot of people. So I think a track record of being able to show that you've 
you've created a strategy, you've got people on board with the strategy, and you've delivered it. Now, whether that is, you know, going back to our previous example, whether that's somebody who's a head of data governance, have they developed a data governance framework strategy? Have they delivered that? Has it had an impact on the business? Or whether it's somebody who's leading a group of analysts or data scientists, have they created a strategy for this team? Have they delivered against that? And have they executed? I think that it's it's the strategic thinking and, and voice is important alongside the execution. You need that on your CV. Yep. Yeah, absolutely agree. I guess flip this equation on its head then as an individual, maybe looking for those types of roles. How do you identify the genuine CDO opportunities? And I'll kind of frame this question because I guess I know people with the chief data officer title that get paid £80,000 a year. And I know people that have the chief data officer title that earn close to half a million quid a year, right? So the job titles in our industry are probably the most undefined out of any, and that's just a maturity thing, right? You know, it's still a relatively immature thing. Yeah. But um, I guess, and, and I'm sure you've had this, right, and amount of search and, and recruitment people that probably reach out with, jobs because of your title and they're just a million miles away in terms of the role the breadth of the role the depth of the role the remuneration around the the role you know there's just so much going on here but i guess what types of things should people who are data leaders who are maybe looking to take that step what are the what are the things that kind of allow them to identify this actually is a genuine cdo type of opportunity the first thing is to understand um, a bit of the structure of the market first um, you know, for example, in the UK, uh, public sector will always pay less, a lot less, and, 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 and you know, quite remarkably less, particularly with the role of the CDO. Um, and, and that's just one of those things, I'm afraid. Um, and I don't think it's limited to CDO, but I think it actually is even sharper in focus with the CDO, perhaps in other senior roles. So I think that's the first thing about public sector. I think the next thing is is to really understand um, the size of the organisation in that some organisations uh, are smaller and they're opting to have a CDO because they're, <laughs> they're quite visionary or they actually see the importance of JATA to, to enable a relatively small business to be efficient or to grow. And then you've got the large international multinational corporations who are very big and complex. So you know, the role of the CDO structurally between the public sector, SMEs, and you know, the big multinationals are very big anyway. So you will find that price range, that salary uh, range within that spectrum anyway. And I don't think that's alone to CDO owners either. I think that, that that's a truism. And I think as an individual, you have to decide what you want to do. You know, do you want to go and do some of the, the public sector jobs which are paying a lot less? Because some of them are mighty interesting, you know, and they're also really important to, to UK society and, and, and the British citizens. So, you know, there's a huge value and worth. Mm. If that's what you want to do, admirable. Go and do it. But, you know, it will be different doing something in a multinational corporation. Now, you may get your half a million pounds in a multinational corporation, but boy, it's a difficult job. No, it, it is full on, it's strain, um, it's very complex, it's very political, it requires a lot of stakeholder management, um, and it's very different to that middle ground where you might be working in a smaller enterprise, where you're actually more hands-on and you're delivering stuff quite rapidly and executing. So I think that's the first thing. That's true about you know, most senior job markets. I think the next thing is to understand, does the organisation actually know what it's after? 
And I think that you find that some organizations are looking for a CDO at 120K. When you actually read the job description, you must have chuckled about this a few times. You read the job description, you look at it and you think, what they're after is a three million pound unicorn here. They've put everything to do with data into that job description and requirement, along with hands-on and strategy, along with a whole bunch of coding languages that you would never expect any other exec to have that level of contact with their profession or their skill, and they want to pay eighty thousand. No, so I, I think that I think that that problem is a level of maturity in the market. There's a lot of organisations who said, "Let's get a CDO, let's bung everything in it, you know, everything, every problem we have with data, every aspect of data, we'll give this person responsibility, we'll get them to report to, well, I don't know, a, a director of something or other, doesn't really matter who, and we'll pay 110." There's been no thought to it. I, I was having a chat, sorry, Carl, with another agency uh, before the weekend, <laughs> and somebody was they were looking for they were looking for a role. They weren't paying enough for it, and they were calling it the wrong thing. And and they're going to struggle to get the right people even looking at it. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I I chuckle on a probably on a daily basis at this type of stuff. To be honest with you, and I think you know I've seen some absolute. You know some horror shows where you're just looking at this thinking, what you know this this organization are just gonna they're gonna be going around in circles for months if if not years here because you, and you know you you'll have seen it yourself you get they try to badge everything into this role and then you know you look at the technical requirements and it's you know 15 years Python coding experience need to build machine learning models in you know random forest or whatever it is you know hands-on experience with Google Cloud Platform, a PhD in artificial intelligence. And I'm kind of sat there thinking, well, people at this level are typically going to be of a certain age. I'm pretty sure that PhDs and and other degrees in the realms of data science and AI and things like that weren't around maybe when they would have gone to university. So there's just this whole calamity of of kind of issues going on, I'd say, which, yeah, I mean, look, we see it day in, day out. And often, you know, the conversations that we're having with an organization is very much, you don't need to call it that. You should call it this and you you don't need to look for that. You should be looking more on, more on this side, which is, is, is a definite problem. Um, Do you think someone's background matters out of interest? Because this is something that I find fascinating because you have the whole, you know, and we'll get into this in a, in a, in a while, I'm sure, but, you know, the, the technical hands-on versus the commercial strategic leadership piece and the kind of trying to find the balance in the middle ground. And, you you know, you often hear people say, well, we've had great success hiring outside of data. You know, people who are just great leaders get it, the strategic, the commercial, they can piece the rest together as they go. Um, and then obviously the flip side of that is, everyone kind of says, well, without that nuance and understanding of what, you know, how it all integrates and, you know, what the tech can do and yada, 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 it's almost impossible. What, what's your what's your stance on, on that? Let me, if I may, I'm going to be very, very naughty here and go back to your, your previous question. Just give a quick follow-up on that about what you were saying about uh, the age profile of, of these C-suite roles. And I think that is why we are seeing perhaps um, – younger cohorts taking the role of CDO than perhaps with other C-suite roles. Uh, and Exosol did some um, did some survey and uh, wrote a report called The Journey to the CDO, which was published a couple yep. of weeks ago. You may have seen it then. 
And one of the outcomes of that was actually um, something that was showing a surprisingly young age for CDOs across the survey, um, younger than you would expect their counterparts in those C roles to be. And that may be a reflection of, well, if you want these skills and that level of hands-on experiences, they're going to sit in a younger cohort. That may also play into the fact that they're not paying them enough in that because they're younger and they haven't had that, you know, I've actually, I've actually heard this, um, you know, you can't make that that salary increase too big a jump. And if they're on X now, you're not going to suddenly be paying them three X because they've gone to this and the organization thinks that they can get the skills and whatever at, at that cheaper rate. So I think that's, that's something we ought to, to think about. In terms of background, does it matter where they come from? I think it does matter where they come from depending on what it is the organization actually wants. What are they trying to achieve? What is the business outcomes? What does the business strategy require this person to deliver from data to meet and help the business strategy? And if they want somebody who's going to be very senior, very strategic, and very aligned on the business strategy and work alongside the CEO and the COO, then they probably need less of a background in AI, data management, and data governance. They need somebody who, who is very senior, but who understands this landscape. They understand that you can't, you have to have specialist people to do it. So you'd expect that person then to recruit the right specialist people as heads of underneath them. So they could they don't have to know it. They're very good at leading a team that do know it. But I would still expect them to come from some form of data background or really get the joke. If, however, you do have an organization where their prime priority is around master data management and governance, then you do want somebody from that background. There is no point in recruiting somebody with three PhDs in artificial intelligence if all you're going to ask them to do is at the other end of the scale around data governance and master data management. They'll understand the importance of those, but they won't want to do it. And equally, it wouldn't work the other way around for obvious reasons. So I think the background of the person is important. One question we had that came up in summer school, which was to do with background, was can a CDO or somebody who's moving to that role move verticals? Can you go from financial services to retail? Could you go from retail to utilities? Could you go from retail into public sector? And my answer to that was a very firm yes, you can. For a couple of reasons. One is that data problems are data problems. They manifest themselves in the same way wherever you are. Poor quality data, lack of access to data, lack of governance around data, wrong tooling, wrong skills, wrong capability, poor culture, all of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter which vertical you're in. I think the the other reason it works is that if you're you know if you're going to do this, you ought to be smart enough to realise you're going to have to learn how that vertical works. So for your first 100 days, it's got to be listen, listen, and listen a bit more. You've got to understand how that business is working. So I think if you're prepared to learn how a business operates, what its business processes are in a new vertical, you can do it. And I think there's actually a lot to be said for it. I think the cross-fertilizations of ideas, perhaps from financial services into the public sector or from retail into utilities, is probably, you know, there are some virtues to be got from that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously, the roundtables that um, you know that that we host as a business that you've been involved in. You know, we've been doing them up here in Manchester, for example, for you know almost four years now, and I always find that fascinating. You know, you look at a business, you have big, you know, global corporations, you've got startups, you've got SMEs. They're all from different sectors, and and often most of those data leadership figures have 
almost identical problems just on a different size and scale you know so the, <laughs> as you said that the problem is you know is often not data right it's a data problem but often it's that's not the the thing that kind of ties it all together um and, and data is data i guess so that makes sense from a reporting standpoint then in terms of reporting lines and structures and all of that type of stuff where have you got any views on on that in terms of because we're here all the time right um you know is it really a cdo role if it's not reporting to the CEO or the COO. I think there's this stigma around if it reports to another C-suite leader who isn't the CEO or COO that, you know, it's lesser of a role, which I don't necessarily buy into, but I'm keen to hear your thoughts. The simple answer to that is, is I don't think it matters really where the person reports into, whether where the CEO role reports into, so long as they are given enough seniority in their own role and the, the the reporting line has to give complete sponsorship. In other words, you know, you, you can't be, be fighting upwards as well as fighting outwards. Um, it, it just doesn't work. So I think we are seeing um, the CDO actually becoming independent of the CTO and CIO roles. I think that that's, that's the first evolution. And that is good and something that I think is, is very important. And we did in, in Paris last week, did around the, uh, no, it was on a round table I was hosting last week, the virtual one. We did a round the table sort of view as to what everybody thought about the CDO reporting into the CIO. And it was a unanimous, no, doesn't work. Not a good idea. It is two very different disciplines. One is, is very much closer to the business and that's the data. So I think that's the first thing. Where they should then report into, CEO, CFO, COO, or should they actually be up there at the top table themselves, I think we will see that in time. I think that is the next evolution we will see. So I think for the time being, having a CDO reporting to a CFO, COO, or even the CEO is, is good, and I have no problem with that at all. It's a very senior role. And the bigger the organization, obviously, the more senior that role is the air does get a bit thin towards the top of a big pyramid. Um, but I think that in time, this is my prediction, we will see the CDO sitting uh, alongside the COO, CFO functions because there is this growing understanding of the importance of data. And I think the CDO has that unique view right the way across the business. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with that. And I think, do, I guess, to, to flip that question back to you, Peter, do you think then if, for example, a CDO is reporting into something that maybe isn't the CFO, COO, or CEO, if they are reporting through marketing or technology or the CIO, for example, do you feel that the delivery of those outputs often is kind of, you know, tinted through a lens as such, you know, because obviously we know that data, it flows through the organization, right? And you get the, the kind of conversation around, well, that's why the CDO should be sat on the top table because it should be enterprise wide. Um, if you're reporting though through marketing, for example, the likelihood is is you're probably going to do more work around data in marketing, if if that makes sense, right? So you kind of get oh, yeah. this blinkered view of of kind of the reality of the role, if that makes sense. Is that something that you kind of buy into or, or not? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think I've seen it. Um, I think if you find the chief data officer reports into the chief marketing officer or the chief customer officer or the chief product officer, for example, you will yep. then get the tinting. Um, you will then get that bias into their activities and their, the outcomes. Now, 
in some organizations, if your customer is the all important thing, no, absolutely paramount, then yes, I can kind of get it. If the chief marketing officer or the chief customer officer is right up there in the C-suite themselves, in the EX code, then reporting into the chief customer officer, if you're a very customer-based industry, is okay, fine. I would question, personally, I'd be a bit awkward and say, surely these customers are consuming some form of product and service. What are we doing about the data in that space? Absolutely. Yeah, that makes, I mean, and it, and it makes sense, right? Because there's there's so many facets to this that kind of lead from from one discipline into the next, right? And I think that's that's the argument is exactly there for, for, for that reason. Um, yeah. So let's jump into this piece then, because I'm kind of keen to get your thoughts on this around this whole obsession we have with the whole hands-on thing and data leaders being hands-on and the debate of, you know, someone from a technical background or someone that's more strategic and commercial um, and, and all of that type of, of stuff. And, and as we've kind of kind of alluded to it at this point, you know, you'll see those job descriptions that want everything from everyone. And finding that balance is almost impossible because these people never exist in equal measure, first and foremost, is my experience. And second of all, they don't have time to exist in equal measure, even if they have the capability and willingness to exist in equal measure so what's your take on this whole you know trying to find data leadership figures and often it's very senior people that they're looking for that can still code or still be involved in analyzing data or whatever the case may be it tells me it tells me three things if i was to read or when i do read a job description that says hands-on i think the first thing it's telling me is this organization has as an acute need They want something to happen. They want execution. And what they're basically saying is that, okay, you can come in, you can build your strategy, but we need, I'm going to mind my language here, we need stuff done. Um, No, we've got real issues. We've got real opportunities that we're missing or, you know, we're not taking uh, advantage of the market in the way we should be. So, therefore, we need stuff done. That's the first thing it's telling me. They, they They are sensing their own need. So, for me, I'd either get excited about that, there's stuff that needs to be done, or I'd be very wary. There's going to be a huge amount of pressure to deliver stuff quickly. I think the second thing is, is that they want somebody, by saying hands-on, they want somebody who's actually done it. And I think this comes back to the early conversation that we've had, is they want evidence of execution. They want somebody who knows what they're doing. They don't want somebody who's going to talk about it. They want somebody who knows how to deliver. Now, whether that's delivering themselves, you know, really putting on the, the marigolds and getting their hands dirty, or not getting their hands dirty, getting the marigolds dirty, or whether they actually mean they want somebody who's led teams that execute, I think that's a bit of confusion in their minds. So I think that that that's for me. And I think the third piece kind of relates to it a bit. I think they're basically saying we don't want somebody who's coming from consultancy. We don't want somebody who's going to deliver us a whole bunch of slide decks about telling us how to do it. The deck doesn't do anything. It's what happens when you and that deck step out of the room. You've then got to go and deliver it. So I think that I think that's what it's telling me. That that's I'm not too worried about hands-on and strategic. I think that it's telling me a number of things. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. I think when we have those conversations with organisations that we partner with. The first thing we try to get to get to the bottom of is what do you mean by hands-on? Because that thing means different, you know, the phrase itself means different things to different people. To one organization, it's you know, you're coming into a greenfield environment and we've got no one else, so you need to be able to code still. For other organizations, it means 
you know, you effectively, you know, you know, we don't want people to be a theorist. You know, we need you to make sure that you can deliver on these projects and execute, as you said. Um, so I think it's just trying to understand what people mean. But I think all too often they kind of wrap all of this together and it becomes all encompassing and therefore they want a bit of everything. Right. And, and that fascinates me because I think if you look around some of the, you know, well-documented failures of our industry in terms of the amount of initiatives that don't deliver as much value as they should have, yeah. it's never because we're really bad at delivering technical solutions or products, right? <laughs> it's typically because it's cultural. It's the change that needed to occur hasn't happened or it's been addressed too late. It's an adoption issue. It's X, Y, and Z, you know, all of that feeds back into the same thing, I guess. But, you know, so my point is always dependent upon the seniority of the role, but, you know, you, you really, you need people that can go and do all of that influencing the storytelling, the translating, the winning hearts and minds, the taking the exco on the journey, because there's a million and one people out there that can code for you. And you also don't need to be paying them a hundred or grand a year to do that. You know, so it's, it's a real, it's it's a real minefield out there, um, which is interesting. I guess, what about the expectations piece? Because this is something that fascinates me as well when you look across the industry, you know, in terms of the level of the role. Is it a genuine CDO role or, you know, is that a, a, a an inflated title to try and attract more people or whatever the case may be? Um, I know you've had some pretty um you know fierce thoughts on on this in terms of expectations around what you know what businesses expect of a cdo talk, talk us through that i think a lot of organizations um have got their expectations all wrong i think relating to what we were saying about the job descriptions their expectations are, are, are out of all proportion i think also their expectations around the pace of delivery um and i i always tell a new cdo or people who are going down this route to be wary of the uh, the hype cycle and the expectations will be very high and you can deliver stuff really, really quickly. You have to be aware of that. I think expectations around um, how much is it going to cost and the resources that are needed. And some organisations have fundamental problems around their data that are built up over many decades and are deeply ingrained into business processes and business technology that to unravel them is a is a task and therefore i think a lot of organizations don't have the right expectations around the budget that is required i think they don't have the right expectations about how this change should be affected um you know they, they might see it as being technology-led rather than data and people-led so i think expectations are a really big issue and i think it's something that chief data officers probably face more than anybody else any other senior role because it's so badly understood and these expectations are, are are wrong. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the expectations across the landscape are all a little bit skewed at this moment, but I think to go back to your earlier point, um, that's probably just a time thing, right? Although it'd be great if we could just say, you know, let's can we just fast forward two years and hopefully we'll have got, <laughs> gotten over most of the challenges, <laughs> but, um, you know, that's unfortunately not going to happen. Um I guess to, to to finish off then, Peter, if there are data leaders out there, just to kind of frame this and kind of bring it all together, data leaders out there that are looking towards that CDO role, either now or in the future, what are the kind of one, two, three kind of bits of advice that you would, you know, want them to kind of take away from this conversation in terms of 
what they should be considering, thinking about, being aware of when they're kind of thinking about their future opportunities? I think the first is, um, and we've mentioned this earlier on, is is be aware of yourself. In other words, know your skills and your weaknesses and make sure that um, you either play really to your strengths or you actually try and fill some of the gaps or balance out some of your weaknesses. I think the second thing is to read those job descriptions with real care. Try and work out, you know, if you are truly a good fit for this role, because it can go badly wrong if the fit isn't right. Um, I think the third thing is to, if you're aspiring to go into that role, is start mixing with other people at that level of seniority to understand what their roles are, what they entail, um, what different words in organisations mean about their expectations and what you'll be required to do. Um, so to educate yourself about that role that you truly aspire to. Those would be my three tips. Yeah. And then I guess to flip that question on its head, business leaders out there who are considering going down the route of appointing a chief data officer, what would you be telling them that they need to think about? I would say you're you're doing the right thing by thinking about having a chief data officer, but be be very clear with yourself why you want one and what you want them to do. Don't fall into temptation of just throwing everything at them or saying that the expectation in a first period of time is to do everything. Recruit this role to deliver your business strategy. That's what you want. Mm. It's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think we talk all the time in our industry, don't we, about, you know, irrespective of what type of role we're speaking about across the data analytics landscape, we all know that we should start with the business problem or the business opportunity and kind of work back. Yet that very rarely plays out in reality for some reason. Final note, yeah. why, why do you think that is? What, what's, what's that all about? <laughs> I think it's because they... they they see the, I think organizations, people who don't really, and this is why having a data professional is important, because I think organizations, they see the problem that the data is causing or the bad data is causing. They see the problem they're missing, but they don't understand what is actually causing it. So they may see bad data quality, but they don't know why they're getting bad data quality. Or they may think they're missing the opportunity of machine learning, but they don't know why they're missing that opportunity of machine learning. And until you can understand that, you can't really address the problem. You might recruit the wrong person to who just is fixing symptoms and isn't actually fixing the underlying problem. Yeah, yeah. And I guess as we kind of close this out, then Peter, obviously you've got you know version whatever we're on now of the CDO, right? And I guess it all started out around compliance and governance and that type of thing, and now we're looking more forward facing around analytics and advanced analytics and, and AI. What do you think the future holds for? the chief data officer as a role and persona? I think the role itself um, will become more senior. And I think it will it will then probably take on the full remit of data from the governance end right the way through to the AI and the data science end and every route in between. And I think that as it becomes more senior, it then allows the role to probably have the proper heads of with the true capabilities and the skill sets that are needed in those um, in those functions. So I think that that's the one evolution we will see. I think we'll also see the CDOs going on to becoming CEOs in organisations. Mm. Is that just because that's the way the world is going? Like, and soon we'll have 
data native organizations, if you will. I think that that's one driver, most definitely. But I think the other driver is that the CDO is very able to understand and talk about the business processes across the whole business. Because if you're involved with the data across the whole business, you see the whole business. Yeah. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Um, Peter, absolute pleasure, as always. If there is anyone out there that's kind of, you know, keen to pick your brains on anything that you've said today or understand more around how Exosol or Carruthers and Jackson, um, depending on which hat you're wearing today, um, <laughs> may be uh, able to help them, what, what's the best way for them to, to reach out to you? The best way to reach me is through LinkedIn. Send me a message on LinkedIn. Fine. Perfect. Well, Peter, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Really enjoyed it, Carl. Thank you very much indeed. Right. Cheers. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, Please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. Bow 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 bow